Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. And boy, do I have a great show for you today. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. Today, I have a special guest who's been on my show before. He's been writing the official biography of the music legend Del Shannon, who was best known for his song Runaway and several other hits. He also manages the Del Shannon website and the Del Shannon Appreciation Society, which is working hard at preserving the legacy of the music artist. So today, he's going to give us an update on the status of the biography, but we're also going to talk about an exciting event that we have coming up here in Battle Creek. It's my pleasure to reintroduce to you, if you missed him the first time, it is Brian Young returning to the show. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Brian. Thanks for taking time to be on the podcast today. Oh, thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Well, it's pretty exciting. You've been coming to uh, Battle Creek again in June here mm-hmm. at the end of the month. On You're going to be here for Del Shannon weekend uh, between the 23rd and 25th in Battle Creek. So, Brian, could you tell me a little bit about yourself or tell the audience a little bit about yourself or maybe those folks that maybe didn't listen to the first interview I had with you about a year ago? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I... Uh... I grew up on the music of Del Shannon, um, you know, mm-hmm. and other uh, his contemporaries, um, but I'm not necessarily from that generation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being a kid growing up in the 80s as opposed to the 60s or, or even 50s, but um, I just latched onto that music. Um, and, uh, you know, after Del Shannon had passed away, his fan club was starting to kind of dwindle a little bit. And, um, I ended up uh, picking it up and doing a quarterly magazine titled And the Music Plays On. Mm. Um, and then uh, uh, Dell's manager, Dan Burgoyes, kind of officially uh, allowed me to run the Dell Shannon Appreciation Society. So I kind of took the reins from there. Okay. Um, at the same time, um, there was a, f- I was growing up in Tacoma, Washington, um, which is maybe 30 or 40 miles south of Seattle. Mm-hmm. There was a gentleman named Dennis DeWitt, who was a writer for a magazine called Blue Suede News, okay. who was also a huge fan of Del Shannon amongst uh, other 50s and 60s uh, artists and rockabilly, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a huge collection. I had a pretty good sized collection myself. And we both saw Dell perform uh, five months to the day before he died. And it was in September of 89 at the Puyallup or the Washington state fairgrounds in Puyallup, Washington. Um, And then a few months after when I saw the article that Dennis DeWitt had published um, in his blues in the blue suede news magazine, he wrote for, um, I found him in a phone book. We connected. Um, I drove up to his house in Seattle, and we literally doubled each other's <laughs> collections overnight and became friends. Uh, he was probably 20 years older than I am, but um, he and his brother had already started to write a book about uh, Dale Shannon and his music. Um, huh. As Dennis put it, he said, uh, Del Shannon's story is a gone with the wind of rock books that needs to be written. And so the two set out to, to write. Um, I had the fan club connection. So we kind of piggybacked off one another and, and helped each other kind of with resources and, and 
moving along, they were well versed in interviewing and I was, you know, a kid still sort of 20 years old, I guess, mm-hmm. so wet behind the ears. So, uh, you know, Howard and Dennis did a lot of the, um, interviewing when we did meet people. Um, but a lot of the questions I wrote and, and, uh, you know, filmed a lot of it or recorded a lot of them, the interviews, you know, on audio. So we had a lot to kind of work from, um, and then their book came out, um, which, you know, there's some pros and cons to it. I'm not going to talk bad about it, but uh, it didn't come out probably as to the high expectations that everyone had. And maybe it was just because the two brothers, you know, Dennis was the, the true fan, but Howard mm-hmm. was PhD and writer. So I think okay. there was a little disconnect, but they did, you know, put a lot of stuff out um, uh, that was unpublished, a lot of unpublished photos and a lot of information that wasn't available to Dell's fans. And so um, kind of coming off that with, you know, 20 something years having gone by since then, or 15 mm-hmm. years, um, there's a lot more to be written about Dell. There's a lot more that was unearthed and discovered, um, audio recordings. Um, we had a couple, you know, CD box sets come out since then, you know, the essentially this last one, the compendium that came out is a 12 CD set that has, you know, all of his career with all the different labels and getting that license and everything had always been a trick to, to sort of do over the years. And so it finally got done. And, um, and, uh, that's kind of what led me to, to writing the book is just kind of picking up, uh, kind of where the DeWitt's book had left off and, and just kind of re, rewriting it, so to speak, and, and more of the words of, in the way that I wanted to tell it, um, as opposed to, um, um, you know, how they told it. So, mm-hmm. so a different approach. Every author's got a different way of looking at it, but you Absolutely. have been working a lot with the Del Shannon family, mm-hmm. uh, on your, uh, your content for the book, right? Getting a lot of his early life, uh, chronicled in your book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Dell's first wife, Shirley um, Westover, has really been kind of a blessing. Uh, um, you know, she's been very cooperative and, and as essentially as a, I think she knew uh, Dell or Chuck Westover, you know, uh, since I think since she was 15 or something like that, 15 or 16. Oh, so, okay. yeah. um, you know, they, they had a long history. And so she was able to tell me a lot about his early years, you know, before he got famous, um, you know, probably uh-huh. 10 years, she knew him before eight or eight to 10 years before he got famous. So, right. um, there's a lot there and, and, um, you know, there was the army life and they got married and, um, you know, he had, when he had graduated high school, um, uh-huh. I got to interview his mother too, a few months before she had passed away. And, um, she was able to tell me about a lot of the early things that happened, you know, when, when he was a child and how she taught him to play the ukulele and she only knew three or four chords. And then they got a, got him a $5 guitar and and he Hmm. used that until he was about 14 and they got him a Sears and Roebuck guitar. And, uh, that's kind of when it started to take off for him and he started playing in high school and getting in trouble and <laughs> having to sing in the locker rooms and in the bathrooms downstairs and everything but um he's taking his guitar everywhere he went with him huh 
Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. His, his his high school principal, I think, was probably his early mentor. Um, he he re- he was a rebel. You know, uh, Dell was a rebel. Um, but he he listened to his principal for whatever reason. He was maybe a father figure or an authoritative figure that was really the only constant in his life that he would listen to because mm-hmm. um, he wouldn't you know, he didn't really get that from his father. He, he got it from his principal. And his principal said that uh, I remember reading a quote somewhere or hearing it. Uh, he said that like Mary's little lamb. Dell's guitar, or you know, Chuck's guitar went everywhere that he went. Something like that. <laughs> I, I just thought that was a yeah, a neat little uh, uh, quote. Uh, but yeah, he allowed him. He made what he did is he struck a deal with with uh, with Chuck Westover. You know, before he became Del Shannon, he said, "Look, I'll tell you what. If you if you pass your classes and you do your homework and you're not a cut up during class um, during." what they called noon hour or lunchtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would let him play, you know, down in the locker rooms or play out on the football field. And so he was, he managed to negotiate successfully with young Chuck to, uh, to be able to get him through high school, but also allow him to, you know, entertain his uh, fellow students, you know, with the guitar. Wow. That's kind of a really cool story. And now, so he was born in Grand Rapids, but he grew up in Coopersville. Right. Um, yeah, he, he grew up in Coopersville. Um, he, he, well, he was born in Grand Rapids, and, and they, his father worked for, I think, a streetcar company. And it wasn't uh-huh. long thereafter that he worked for the county road commission. He got a job back in Coopersville, which was where um, – his parents were from so they ended up leaving grand rapids and going back to to coopersville um and well yeah essentially that's where he grew up Mm -hmm. and so how did he come to live in battle creek i know it was after he did his tour in the army over in europe Mm -hmm. yeah um in 53 he graduated from coopersville high school Mm -hmm. and then he was drafted into the army uh i think in the summer of 54 okay. and so he and Shirley got married in September of 54 and then he had to ship out to Fort Knox Kentucky for basic training oh. so he was out there for a few months and then Shirley came to visit I think for a month or two and then she came back to Coopersville and she was working I think as a telephone operator in, um, in Coopersville for a few months until uh, Dell was sent to uh stuttgart germany okay um and so that's when shirley you know joined back up with him and then they went to to germany and he was there for a couple of years and he got into this um this army band it was like a traveling kind of a tour show that uh um featured six or seven players from the army but they called Mm -hmm. themselves cool flames oh okay (laughs) And uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, there was a, it was a you know a troop that went around uh, Germany and entertained the, the troops, kind of like a you know like what Bob Hope was known for doing in, in Vietnam, but just kind of to a lesser degree. Right. Um, but that's where Dell really got his chops. You know, he he was able to practice and and uh, play his guitar, not necessarily as singer, but but uh, get a lot of guitar work in and really, uh, you know, build his skills as a as more of a semi-pro guitar player. Um, and then when he was discharged, I think it was 
1956 when he got discharged and sent back to Coopersville. Um, at that time, it was hard to get a job in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, so after working for, I think, a couple places that didn't really pan out, he ended up enlisting in the Air Force, uh, provided that he was able to be stationed out of Fort Custer. Okay. And so that's how that's how he was kind of moved from Coopersville down towards, uh, you know, Battle Creek there. Custer. Okay. I didn't know he was in the Air Force as well. Yeah, he was in the Air Force, but it wasn't long, though. He was there for maybe uh, six months to a year, and then he got mm-hmm. a hardship discharge because his father ended up getting a brain aneurysm on uh, April Fool's Day in 1959 hmm. and uh, ended up having to go to a rest home uh, pretty much for the rest of his life. Um, so it kind of disabled his father. But, uh Yeah that's how he ended up leaving. He got a hardship discharge because of his father's illness. And right. then he took a job at uh, Brunswick in uh, Kalamazoo. Okay. Working at the factory there doing, um, you know, nailing it, uh, legs on the chairs and tables, I guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> before he, before he, you know, he left there and then he went to, uh, uh, you know, he got into the high-low club, uh, you know, to work in nights there and and, mm-hmm. uh, and then took another day job at the carpet store when he left Brunswick. Right. Okay. So that's how he gets playing at the high-low in the evenings and um, doing sit-ins with some of the bands there and then starts, eventually took over the band there, right? Because of the, Yeah. Yeah, he was originally with a band called Doug DeMott and the Moonlight Ramblers. And mm-hmm. Doug DeMott is kind of a well-known figure in the Battle Creek lore. Um, he was a guy that, uh, uh, he was on the Louisiana Hayride. He, he tried to break nationally, but wasn't really able to do it. Um, but he, he had a country, country and Western band at the high low club. And so there was several, mm-hmm. um, hirings and firings, <laughs> either, uh-huh. you know, with squabbles with the owner. Um, but eventually in, in, uh, I think it was May of 59, he was fired for good and, Mm-hmm. Ended up going to um, the Flamingo, I think, on Harmonia is, is where he ended up uh, oh, okay. going to. But then that's where Chuck Westover took over uh, the band there at the High Low Club and re- renamed the band or named the new band, you know, the Charlie Johnson Band. Right. Okay. Charlie Johnson was just a stage name that uh, Westover took. Yeah. Then he eventually selected the name Del Shannon when Runaway became a hit, right? Yeah, or even just even just before that, they were saying that um, uh, the way that kind of came about is when he took over the band, he needed well, he needed to put a, a band together, so he ended up using uh, a guy named Lauren Duggar that was the bass player from Doug Demont, the Moonlight Ramblers, mm-hmm. um, and then he needed a guitar player, and so he had. Bob Poopenhagen, and he had uh, a guy named Dick Pace, um, and those guys kind of changed out with each other. Um, uh-huh. And then he hired uh, a, a drummer who was named Dick Parker, and he was out of Richland, um, and he was staying with his grandmother over in Hickory Corners. Okay, uh, and he had just graduated high school when you know Chuck found him and asked if he wanted to be the drummer so he played a couple nights i think fridays and saturdays so he's only like a part-time drummer there uh-huh. um but when dick pace quit and bob popenhagen got a job at the 
Green's Tavern, I think it was. Mm. Um, they needed, uh, you know, Chuck needed to get somebody else to replace. So he was looking for another guitar player. And that's when Dick Parker, the drummer, said, hey, I know this guy in Kalamazoo. His name's Max Crook, and he plays piano. But he has this little machine there that he calls a Musitron. Uh, he's an electronics guy. He's into tapes and everything. And, and uh, Westover said, no, nah, I don't know if I really need that i'm not looking for a piano player i'm looking for another guitar player Mm -hmm. um but uh dick parker was able to get uh, chuck to um allow max crook to audition and when he did you know max had his little musitron there and he played all these little um you know bassy sounds and string sounds and everything and and uh, he got hired on the spot there so that's when it kind of really gelled it was maybe two or three weeks after Max Crook getting hired uh, into Westover's band that they cut their first acetate in Grand Rapids at a place called Our Our Theater. It was called Face of an Angel and He Doesn't Care was the B-side, I believe. Um, And then there was a local DJ on WELL named Charlie O or Chuck Marsh Mm -hmm. who ended up shopping uh, the acetate of Face of an Angel to Chess Records, Mercury, uh, or Checker Records, and, and um, Mercury, and there was one or two other labels, VJ, I think, out of Chicago, um, oh. but to no success. Uh, so Max already had a contact by the name of Ollie McLaughlin, who was a DJ in Ann Arbor for, I think, WHRV um, at the time, and had already put out max had already had a, a 45 record out on the dot label which was uh pat boone's record label so there was some clout there um with his uh band that he had from kalamazoo um, that yeah. had disbanded after college um so anyways using that that uh contact that ollie mclaughlin contact they they he they uh they brought him down to the high low um either in the afternoon or after hours depending on which story mm-hmm. you want to know mm-hmm. but um ollie was black so in those days you know they were there was fear that you know somebody might kill him or something and and so you couldn't really have him in a white club you know at the high low during uh regular business hours so they brought him in you know after hours uh max had recorded some demos and it wasn't the it wasn't runaway yet but it was a song called the search and i'll always love you and there were some other songs that were Mm -hmm. recorded and ollie took it to uh two entrepreneurs in detroit called harry balk and irving mcconnick and -hmm. those guys had already had success with johnny and the hurricanes and red river rock so they were already managers uh, um you know that had hits under their belt harry balk had also produced little little um not produced he had managed little willie john who had fever was a big Uh hit um so they listened to him they signed him um and then they did a recording session with uh chuck westover and they said you know your name just doesn't cut it so we need to come up with a stage name and they decided to use or that's you know westover came up with um del shannon named after a cadillac and after a uh, a guy that went to the high low club named mark shannon right. uh, or his name was bob white actually and some locals may know him um but uh he was going to call himself mark shannon the wrestler right okay 
so he ended up using, he got the stage name Del Shannon and uh, recorded his first session. Uh, he was really nervous. Uh, he had a lot of uh, vibrato in his, in his voice. So you can kind of hear the nervousness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, those songs later got put out on the runaway album, um, but they didn't make it as a single. Okay. So, you know, being a little frustrated and upset, you know, he, this was like August of 1960. Uh, he came back home um, from, from New York where they recorded Mm-hmm. And he was encouraged to write an up-tempo song, so he wrote a couple up-tempo uh, songs. You know, he was fiddling around with uh, a song called "Honey Bee," mm-hmm. um, which sounded more like something you would hear from 1959 than maybe 1961. Uh, mm-hmm. And then one night in October, they came in October of '60. They came up with "Runaway." Uh, they mm-hmm. wrote it on stage at the Hilo. Um, you know, after they hit. Max had hit an A minor and a G progression mm-hmm. on the piano. And then, you know, it just kind of got put together there on stage for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then the owner of the Hilo Club, uh, Philip Gilbert, he said, hey, you guys knock it off and play something else because I'm not paying you for <laughs> writing a song. I'm paying you to entertain the the patrons here. So uh, so they kind of quit at that point and kind of went back into doing their, their set. But then the mm-hmm. next day, uh, you know, Ch- Chuck went into um, – uh, the carpet store where he was working by day and sat down on a roll of carpets and wrote out the lyrics to run away and to the B-side Jody. So that, that mm-hmm. was pretty much written within like a 24 hour time frame. Wow. And I know it was, I've heard that it was based on a girl that uh, kind of ghosted him, you might say, on a, going to a dance or something like that. And uh... Yeah. Um, so the, the story of Runaway um is uh i guess you could say it's kind of the the true story of of uh you know charles westover when he was going to his senior his senior year in high school there was Mm -hmm. a girl named karen from uh, allendale michigan and i think they were going out for i don't know maybe a couple weeks or a month or something and the the senior prom was coming up so he asked her to the senior prom she said yes i'll go and at the last minute she changed her mind says oh you know what i can't go with you and i think one of the reasons and this may or may not be true was that uh you know the westover family when he was growing up they weren't churchgoers hmm. so in those days you could be frowned upon in a small community if you weren't part of you know the community church and things of that nature now whether that's true or not i've never really been able to substantiate that um but i don't know that that's necessarily if that really matters or not, the you know to the whole story, um, but the, you know the fact is is that she had chose not to go out with him and went with someone else to the dance, and uh, you know he ended up following her in the her and her boyfriend's car or this other guy, hmm. <laughs> and he was upset. So there was there were stories that Dell told, you know, like he he put he got a a chain or something or, or a locket or something from her and put it on the railroad tracks and had it smashed, you know, because he was upset about that. He wanted yeah. the teddy bears back that he gave her and things of that nature. So, mm. um, but uh, he said one time in a story and maybe it was in a Dick Clark interview, um, but Dell had mentioned that he says, when you have a breakup, um, one person leaves the relationship and, and moves on, you know, they find someone else, which is the case of this Karen girl. And the other person is left devastated. And that was Chuck. That was mm-hmm. Dell. 
So he was devastated. And somehow later on, you know, he kind of funneled that misery and, and um, energy into songwriting, you mm-hmm. know, once he started songwriting. So his tragedy became a number one hit for the rest of us yeah. to yeah. be able to appreciate. And that's kind of the sad irony about um, a lot of Dell's songs is that even though he's sometimes he did write about others that he saw, but a lot of times if you, if you really dig into him and, and you kind of know the back story, um, you really realize that a lot of those songs are about him or his high school days. Right. And it's great that he's able to dip into those memories, but it's also sad that he had to experience those tragedies in order to be able to write a, you know, a hit song or more. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly runaway was a, was a big hit when it came out. I mean, I think, and talking to uh, James Popenhagen, it changed his life overnight. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's been quite a, it was quite a, an overnight change for him from just working at that level at the high-low club and hoping to get some national exposure and suddenly being a number one hit across the nation. Right. Well, you know, in his case, um, it wasn't a gradual thing. I mean, it really was rocketing the stardom. I mean, he went from nobody to, to a number one hit in the country, you know, and, yeah. um, he, it wasn't like runaway hit number 72 on the mm-hmm. billboard charts or number 40, you know, he didn't gradually work his way up there. Like maybe a Roy Orbison did or, right. or, you know, a Dion or Bobby V or something where they kind of gradually work their way up and get a number one hit, you know, at some point in their career, he shot right straight to number one. Mm-hmm. So, oh, you know, he's got an overnight success. You know, they had to scramble, you know, his his uh, record company and label. And, you know, they had to create a biography on him. And, and uh, all this kind of had to happen overnight because um, they managed to secure a gig for him at the Brooklyn Paramount in, in New York, which was a Clay Cole and Murray the K um uh, show and those are big shows. Those are like you know Alan Freed and everything. New York, uh, anything Murray Murray the K mm-hmm. uh, or you know Clay Cole. Those were big guys in New York that always had these kind of rock and roll shows. You know that they did with you know Bill Haley and those kind of guys, and and then Del Shannon all of a sudden is put on there. So he he didn't get the headline, but he was part of that show for about two weeks. You know it was like the Easter Parade of Stars. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he's in New York and, and all of a sudden he's got all this fame and, and, uh, but a lot of, you know, there was a lot of fear and everything too. I mean, he had to go get new suits. Uh, he had to get, you know, professional, uh, photo session done. Um, you know, his manager kind of stuck him with the bill for the recording session. And then he was kind of taught about taxes and how you need to save about 30% to pay your taxes. So, while he was making a lot more money, you know, one or two, I think it was a, what is it? A week, a week's pay at the Brooklyn Paramount was just as much as he made at the high low all year. So it turned out to be, yeah, you know, uh, kind of a huge success for him. Wow. So in your research in, uh, into his life story, did you interview any musicians that were his contemporaries during that time? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, there was a lot of musicians that he worked with that, um, that I interviewed that pertained to his story, which has really intrigued me more. I didn't want to go out there and, uh, well, first of all, I didn't have access to, to, mm-hmm. you know, just ring Paul McCartney or Elton John or right. Bruce Springsteen or somebody like that. Yeah. Um, but in conversation, I did see 
uh, you know, Brian Highland on multiple occasions and had conversations with him and uh, Bobby V, especially though, I was able to talk to Bobby V on uh, several occasions and able to get a lot on, you know, a lot of good stories from Bobby. Um, and then Dion, um, I had met a, f- a few times and I was, a, um, I, I still am a big Dion fan. So, mm-hmm. um, naturally being a fan of his, if I could catch one of his shows, I would. And I happened to catch, you know, a couple of them. And, and, uh, you know, in one case I was able to talk to him, um, was in New York at the rock and roll hall of fame. He came by the table there and we talked for a little bit and I asked him, you know, about, uh, when he shared a dressing room with, with Dell at the Brooklyn Paramount and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, a few of the shows that they did after that. Um, but with Bobby V, I think, he he gave kind of a little, again, conversation, not necessarily an interview, but he taught, told me about uh, uh, the writing of Hats Off to Larry. He said that uh, um, that uh, during the Brooklyn Paramount, um, the week or two that he was there, that Dell was writing Hats Off to Larry mm. and one or two other songs on um, uh, on some steps, I guess, in the, the back. backstage he was he was always you know either writing or, or very dedicated where all the other musicians were kind of you know all the other singers were kind of off getting to goof around because they always had people from the brill building you know the mm-hmm. where, where everybody wrote songs you know and, and gave them to artists you know Dell had to actually write his own hits so he was kind of working up uh, hats off to Larry and yeah. that was kind of an interesting story because it turned out Dell was writing he would pick somebody that he would write a song for. So he had a song that he was working on called I wonder, which had kind of a Bobby V style, but it never came out. Um, James Popenhagen, James Popenhagen and I, we have, you know, reviewed the chords and, and uh, some of the lyrics and everything like that. And we could tell that the song really wasn't coming out, which is why it never got released because it it just wasn't making it as a song. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other one was hats off to Larry and the original lyrics was three cheers to Johnny, you know, Mm -hmm. hold your glasses high. And, uh, it ended up being changed to hats off to Harry after runaway came out, uh, kind of as a nod to, uh, you know, Harry Balk for producing runaway, but also, um, what Dell had said is that he wanted hats off to Larry to be his next single. So Mm -hmm. he, he used hats off to Harry. And then he said, Nah, you know what? Harry doesn't really make it because there's too much of that H sound. The ha hats off to Harry. Yeah. So what if we just use Larry? Right. Oh, okay. So they end up recording hats off to Larry. Wow. Yeah, that did fairly well by itself as a signal. Didn't it, it did. Yeah, it got to number five uh, in in Billboard, and there was another music uh, chart magazine called Cashbox, which mm-hmm. was bigger than Billboard in the fifties. Um, and then they were kind of running neck and neck in the early sixties and, and, uh, hats off to Larry was number two, um, in cash box, but number five in billboard. So mm-hmm. it wasn't quite up there, but hats off to Larry was a interesting song because it had, it started out with this, you know, once upon a time kind of a thing, like, you know, once I had a pretty girl, her name, it doesn't matter. And, you know, and then it goes into this revved guitar 
And then it goes into a chorus, you know, with hats off to Larry. It doesn't start as a first verse. Right. So it's interesting that it's, you know, chorus and, and then it has, um, you know, a verse and then it goes into like an instrumental break and the chorus and all the th- everything and then goes out. But there's some interesting um, things going on or gimmicks, I should say, with Max Crook and his Musitron. Um, you know, in Runaway, he had that great instrumental solo. And then in Hats Off to Larry, he had a pretty good solo on that too. But he also had these little arpeggio blips, you know, that kind of went throughout the song, these little blip. Yeah. And um, that was that was an interesting gimmick, you know, that they put out on that song too. So, um, but yeah, that was a big hit. And so then he took off and did more East Coast touring. He did uh, the Steel Pier, Atlantic City, which was a huge gig. He was mm-hmm. second on the bill to Dorothy Lamour, the... the uh, uh, Hollywood actress who was big in the day. Um, and then he did, uh, I'm trying to think of what else, some other Tony's Mart, um, uh, which was used in Eddie and the Cruisers, um, which was a, a movie that uh, came out in the 80s. Uh, yeah, Eddie I remember and- that. It was a good movie. Yeah, they Very used good. Runaway in there. But but that actual place, Tony's Mart, is where Dell performed. Um, and along the boardwalk during the day, he wrote the song So Long Baby, which turned out to become his third hit. He, he was on the boardwalk there and he saw uh, a kid that bought this little hummazoo, uh, it was called, which is like a kazoo, but it's kind of round shaped. Mm-hmm. And the kid bought it and he's blowing into it. And so Dell said, oh, that's kind of cool. So he ended up buying one so that he had something because he didn't have Max Crook with him. So he had something to blow into to kind of do an instrumental break, which is why you hear this cheesy kind of kazoo instrumental break in So Long Baby. But, you know, it worked mm-hmm. for, for that frantic production. So that's <laughs> how that third hit came along. Interesting. Wow. So the, you're writing the biography and you're trying to get it out this summer. Uh, we have mm-hmm. you coming to Battle Creek mm-hmm. uh, speaking on Sunday, the 25th. And tickets are available for that, folks. I can put the link to that in the description of the episode here today. And so that's coming up. But what's the, uh, is it possible that the, the biography will be there at the event? Or is it more likely it's going to be something we do pre-orders on it? Well, we're hoping so. Um, it's, it is a, a time crunch, you know, with, with the publisher there in, in trying to get that, you know, pushed out and, and books in hand by the time the, event rolls around on on june 25th uh if not we'll do something like a, a pre-order um mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm hoping that we can get the you know the, get the book released uh in time for the event okay are there any aspects of your presentation that people should look forward to um yeah well i mean the the biography is going to be a, a, a dated you know a day by day you know which encompasses you know just everything that that uh, dell did including his early early years and formative years but uh, everything that he did hits and misses mm-hmm. um you know from 1961 up through 1990 and then even beyond that um so if there's something outside of the hits that um that you know people or fans wanted to kind of know about mm-hmm. um this would be something you know, to attend, you know, because I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go through the whole uh, career that Dell had and talk about not only the big hits, but, um, you know, the, the British invasion, um, the Ed Sullivan show when the Beatles, you know, you know, invaded America and, and Dell flew down to, to Miami Beach to talk with them. And, and there's a story there that I can share that hasn't really been published anywhere. So that's it's 
something new and fresh that people can hear. Um, right. You know, he 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 covered uh, "Under My Thumb," which was a Rolling Stones hit, and then he ended up being produced by uh, the Rolling Stones, you know, manager and producer Andrew Lou Goldham, mm. and did a wonderful album in 1967 that was kind of the answer to. Uh, the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds, um, but it didn't get released because the Monterey Pop Festival happened and it kind of changed music. And then the psychedelia period kind of came in and then Dell ended up recording something called The Further Adventures of Charles Westover. So this mm. great uh, concept album that they had in, in Home and Away, which you know was that Andrew, Andrew Oldham produced uh, album is is something to talk about because it's it really holds it stands up to the test of time and there's a lot of fans or even people that aren't necessarily fans of of dells they're into that era of you know english baroque kind of pop music oh uh, and so there's you know kind of a niche little fascination there and and um you know but then there's the the 70s you know there's the the nostalgia period where he gets on the the uh the dick clark kind of caravans and nostalgia packages um which a lot of his contemporaries did but then uh del gets he he meets jeff lynn from the electric light orchestra who happens to be a huge fan uh of dell's and then they start recording some songs together they're writing songs together um but then electric light orchestra gets really hot and they have number ones you know across the united states with their el dorado album uh, and then, um, you know, so they, they don't quite get the the album together. And, you know, Dell has his bouts with alcoholism. And so he he records a, an album in, in uh, 1977 in Dublin, which doesn't get put out uh, again, probably because of the drinking. And and, um, uh, and then that's when, when Shirley says, hey, sober up, you know, or I'm going to leave you. I want a divorce. Uh, right. If you're not going to sober up, and so the next day he checks himself into, uh, you know, a hospital in for rehab, and he gets himself dried out, and um, you know, then he loses weight and gets himself in shape, and that's about the time that Tom Petty pops into his life, and Tom Petty wants to produce a, an album with him, and and it was perfect timing because Dell had just got his copyrights back wow. with the help of his manager Dan Burgoyes, uh, and Tom Petty pops into his life, and they he has a uh, he gets a, a, a top 30 hit with Sea of Love, you know, and he, you know, Dell hadn't been on the charts for like 16 years since Stranger in Town in 65. So, wow. you know, and then the 80s kind of go along. There's uh, a TV show called Crime Story that uses uh, Runaway as the theme song, um, uh, Born on the Fourth of July, which was a, a movie that starred Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise actually sings. Um, so, you know, parts of uh, Runaway in that movie. Um, there's other ones, countless other movies, you know, they use Runaway since then. But um, yeah. Uh, and then Tom Petty and Jeff Lynne together pop pop back into Dell's life in, in the late 80s, um, right about the time when the Traveling Wilburys were a group and and um, they were working on uh, Dell's final album, which was called Rock On. But there were some really good good songs in there like walk away which was a tom petty jeff lynn and del shannon co-write mm. um and had del have lived you know it, it may have been a hit if he was if he had the chance to promote it you know and, and have some push behind it because i know that 
Roy Orbison had done something similar with a song called You Got It uh, when he died of a heart attack in 88. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a posthumous hit in January of 89. But um, so there's, you know, there was a lot of things, you know, in in Dell's career. Um, the other thing that he didn't finish at the time of his death is that he was tapped uh, by Sire Records, um, which was Madonna's label um, to do or Madonna was signed to the label, but uh-huh. uh, Dick Tracy, when that Warren Beatty movie came out in 1990. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. Um, Dell was going to sing a song in there, wow. um, okay. but he didn't live to, to be able to do it. So uh, had he had lived, uh, there would have been maybe that, uh, you know, resurgence. Could a, yeah. It could have been a resurgent hit. Cause that was, it wasn't such a big movie, but there was some pop culture that kind of came out of that movie when it came out, I remember. Right. Know, mm-hmm. So, interesting. Wow. So there's, a, there's certainly a lot of material in your book that your the fans can be looking forward to. So we'll mm-hmm. have to uh, encourage them to come to the Battle Creek Regional History Museum some, uh, on Sunday, June 25th. But come into town if you want to for the whole weekend, because there's going to be a Del Shannon tribute concert on Friday night with James Popenhagen, and that's happening at the Penfield Performing Arts Center, which is at Penfield High School. And then during the day on Saturday, there is a Del Shannon Classic Car and Truck Show at the Lila Arboretum in Battle Creek. And we're going to be giving a lot of giveaways out there and playing some Del Shannon music throughout the day. And uh, just uh, the, the Del Shannon's family is going to be there. The Westover family is going to be there uh, rewarding or giving out the top three awards on the day at that car show, which is going to be kind of cool. You know, I just picked out the trophies this past week for that, so that's going to be really neat. Uh, so we're looking to have a great weekend. Hopefully we have good weather all weekend and uh, get a lot of people out. I'll put the links to all of this information in the description, folks. Before we go, uh, Brian, any last words you want to tell people about uh your upcoming uh, presentation here at the in Battle Creek or anything else? Uh, I don't know. I mean, just uh, maybe come with your questions. If there's anything that you can think of that you've wanted to know about uh, Del Shannon, um, this would be the time to do it. Uh, you know, if uh, there's a lot of things I can answer, I'm not going to say I know everything because um, I don't. Um, James Popenhagen can answer a lot of the questions. Uh, you know, uh, some of the Westovers will be there surely. Um, Craig Westover. So there's some family members that, um, that you could ask too. Uh, but I think it'll be great, you know, to, to get to hear about, uh, a, you know, this, uh, sixties rock star that came out of Battle Creek and exploded onto the scene and kind of changed pop culture, and, you know, for a while, for three or four weeks in the spring of 1961, Del Shannon and Runaway ruled the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly um, did. Run, run, number run, one. run, run away. Yeah, Run, Run, Runaway was uh, top, yep. the number one record in over 20 countries. So it was, yep. it's a big hit. Well, it's always a pleasure having you back on, Brian, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks. So uh, certainly we'll have to grab some dinner when you're in town or something like that. So I've been speaking with Brian Young. He is the author of a new biography coming out this year. On the life and legacy of the music artist Del Shannon. And he is going to be coming to Battle Creek, Michigan and speaking at a special event on 
June 25th, 2023, at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum at 307 West Jackson Street. And I will put the links to the tickets for that event. It's called the Del Shannon Historic Legacy Event. And in addition to having him speak at this event, we also have James Popenhagen, who will be present and he'll be singing a few songs of Del Shannon as part of our Del Shannon weekend. And then on Friday night, if you want to come into town early, there is a Del Shannon tribute concert and James Popenhagen is performing a full concert there. And the concert also includes Brian Hyland. If you are familiar with him, he's probably best known in your memory of Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini and Sealed with a Kiss. So it's going to be a fabulous concert. And that is taking place at the Penfield High School in the Penfield Performing Arts Center. And it's going to be just a spectacular evening. You're going to really want to uh, put that on your calendar. And I'll put the links for tickets to that as well. You come into town on Friday night, you stay through Sunday, and on Saturday, Saturday, there is a Del Shannon Classic Car Show at the Lila Arboretum. So it's Del Shannon weekend here in Battle Creek. Brian Young is going to be a big part of that with his presentation on the life of Del Shannon. So if you'd like to find out more details about that, certainly check out the links in the description of this podcast episode. If you'd like to reach out to me, you could find me at michaeldelaware.com. I am always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. <laughs>